Hey, welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast. Today I'm really happy to be welcoming Stefan Kinsella, a patent attorney and libertarian activist. Today we're going to talk about basically patent trolling, what are patents, and how it can be used as an attack vector on Bitcoin. But first, I'd really like for you to head over to iTunes, leave a five-star and a written review. That would be the best thing to be able to help on the podcast that you can do right now. Also, please go to supportmypodcast.com slash discounts. Supportmypodcast.com slash discounts. And I'm going to be starting a discount program for my listeners and supporters. It's absolutely free, and you'll get access to all of the discounts. We have everything from Trezors and Keep Keys and Bitcoin you know, related merchandise, uh, as well as health stuff that's going to be coming out here pretty soon. So go over there, sign up. I'm going to be releasing that live here in about a month. So just go over there, sign up. You'll just be notified by email once it is live. Also, one other thing, if you could go over and go to Bitcoin, F-O-R-A-L-S, BitcoinForALS.com, sign up for that uh, email notification for when that project goes live. We're going to be going and trying to get um, raise money in Hal Finney's name, who is probably the second most important person in Bitcoin behind Satoshi Nakamoto. Also go on Twitter, Bitcoin, or the handle is at Bitcoin, the number four ALS, at Bitcoin, the number four ALS, for all the notifications. It's a pretty cool project, and I think that you guys should really support that. So anyways, I really hope that you guys enjoy the show. And it's a really, uh, really interesting topic as an attack vector on Bitcoin. But most of all, I'd like to say thank you for listening and enjoy the show. to welcome Stefan Kinsella, libertarian activist and registered patent attorney. He is the founder of the Libertarian Papers and author of numerous books and articles on libertarianism and its application to the law. Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Dustin. Uh, you know, before we kind of go into the main topic, I was wondering if you could tell the audience, you know, just a little bit about yourself, you know, and, and how Bitcoin found you. Well, I'm a patent attorney, um, and I'm also a libertarian sort of writer and uh, speaker, had been for well over 20 years, and uh, had been heavily involved in um, the Mises Institute and Austrian economics and libertarian, uh, you know, basically I'm an anarchist libertarian, and I have been since law school. So um, I honestly have always been interested in the idea of some kind of electronic or digital money, it seems like that's the inevitable progress of things, right? Um, mail to email, <clears throat> analog music and movies to digital and streaming, and it all just seemed obvious. And I, I kind of always was wrestling in my head with the double spending problem, like, but how could you get around that? And then, then uh, Bitcoin came along in 2009, and my friends and I kept talking about it, and finally... I think around 2011 or 12, I, I started getting really intrigued by it. And uh, my friend Vijay Boyapati, who's another big Bitcoin enthusiast, uh, was really promoting it to me. And I, my, my concern was that it was going to work, but the government would just shut it down. So I, I kind of had an overly optimistic 
or pessimistic, I guess, view that of the government's speed and efficiency. So I made a bet with BJ that by the end of 2012, Bitcoin would have crashed below a certain amount because I just thought the government would shut it down. So I wasn't skeptical about its promise as a technology. I just thought the government would, would outlaw it. Um, and so I lost the bet, but so I had to buy, I had to pay him a hundred dollars. And so he said, well, you can give me three Bitcoins if you want instead. And there were 30 bucks each at the time. So I thought I was getting a deal. So I bought, I bought five Bitcoins, figure I'll buy a few extras just for me. So that got me playing with it. And so because I lost the bet, I ended up getting some, a few Bitcoins and getting interested in it ever since then. And, uh, you know, the, the reason I was wanted to have you on the show is that, I mean, I know that you run around in a lot of the Bitcoin circles as well. Um, and, and well, libertarianism and, and Bitcoin kind of overlap pretty heavily in, in a lot of different areas. Uh, but one of the kind of emerging things in, in the Bitcoin world is kind of the, well, Craig Wright's been around for a while and chain and, and, uh, and Bitcoin SV a little bit newer, but you know, they have been growing a portfolio of patents and, you know, that is something that I've kind of looked at for a while. Once I heard, you know, his public constant public pronouncement pronouncements of, you know, we're filing a new uh, patent and we've had this many, you know, um, approved, we've got this many in the pipe. And I've always kind of thought of that as a sort of attacked vector, maybe not necessarily on Bitcoin, but definitely as the blockchain space uh, in mass. And litigation, whether it's, you know, defamation or, or patent trolling is something that can destroy a project just as fast as, you know, greater hash power. Um, so why don't we kind of start off with the basics mm -hmm. of, you know, what is a patent? Uh, why do why does this even exist? And why is it kind of a definitely within kind of Western culture, a hallowed piece of of legal doctrine? Yeah, and I, I, I will. And let me give a little background on some my interest in this Um as both a patent attorney and uh, as a libertarian, so uh, I, I guess in libertarian circles, if you if you read up on this stuff, I'm probably best known for my my strong opposition to patent and copyright law. Um, I, I started thinking about these problems uh, early on as a libertarian, partly because I started practicing in this field as a lawyer, and the arguments for patent and copyright never quite made sense to me. So I, I tried to I tried to come up with my own argument and did a lot of research and finally concluded that um, the reason I couldn't come up with a solution and all the arguments made no sense is because they're just wrong. And patent law is completely um, uh, anti-free market, unjust, and harmful, uh, and copyright as well for slightly different reasons. But so in my opinion, patent law is an abomination. It's, 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 it, it causes... It retards innovation, it slows down innovation, and it slows down the rate of progress of the human race, to be honest. Um, I think it's one of the first laws next to maybe the drug war that I would abolish if I had a, a magic red button. Um, what a patent is, is it's a grant by the government to someone who applies for protection on an invention. And an invention is defined, according to the patent law, as a... A, a non-obvious and novel, which means new, and useful machine or process. It's basically a practical device or way of doing something. Okay, so it's just a gizmo or a process. 
and the patent is granted by the government when you apply for it. If you satisfy some bureaucrat in the patent office who examines it, it's called the examiner, and they issue a patent. It usually takes about one, two, or three years to get your patent issued. And when it issues, it lasts for 20 years from the date that you originally filed it. So roughly 18 or 17 years is the term of these patents. And during the term of the patent, the owner of the patent can use it to prevent anyone from performing whatever he's claimed in his claims, whatever he got patented. So he can basically sue someone if, if he sees them making a device or practicing a method similar to what he has claimed and uh, force them to stop and pay damages. So it, it basically is a way to protect someone from competition because it gives them the right to prevent people from competing with them by doing something similar to either what they're doing or what they've claimed in their patent. So that's what a patent is. The word patent is this Latin word patente, which means open. And it was called a letter patent because this originated in the practice of kings, for example, or monarchs or queens. Um, writing a letter which says, you know, Sir Francis Drake has the sole right to be the pirate on these seas. Or this guy is the sole, he has the sole right to, um, to sell uh, leather in this colony. So it was an open letter commanding everyone to let this guy be the only one who could do something. It was the original purpose was um, anti-competitive and to basically it was just a, a monopoly privilege grant to someone. And that evolved over time into the system that we have now, which is mainly focused on inventions. And uh, as far as the like patents, I imagine that just like every other legal doctrine, there's a lot of like overlap. Um, between different jurisdictions and everything like that. But what is the differences in, um, is there? Oh, yeah. Is there I any? I, yeah, because I, yeah, I, I was going to ask between the US, the EU, and mm -hmm. also this one, the World Intellectual Property Organization. Yep. yep. Like, what kind of overlap and recognition do they have? So, and let's just talk, I mean, copyright is one thing. Copyright works a little bit differently. Um, and that and, and that does tie in a little bit to uh to the, the GNU public license that you had asked me about and also to Bitcoin and blockchain because copyright applies to software and, and code um, more readily than patent does, but patent can as well. Patent, the way the, the patent system is, is, is domestic, that is, is national. Uh, every country has their own patent law and it, it's, only, it's only enforceable within their country. Um, one exception would be the European Union, which has a European patent. Um, but basically it's territorial. Um, and what that means is that if you have an invention, then you could file a patent in whichever country you like. Okay. So you could file in the U S you can file in, in Europe, you could file in Canada, you could file in China, and then you have to go through this process, which is called prosecution, which means going back and forth with their patent office to finally get your patent issued. And then when the patent issues, it's a patent in that country and can be enforced in that country's courts against someone who is practicing or using or, re or selling that invention in that country's territory. So it's territorial. However, there are two – well, there are many treaties, but the, the two main treaties would be the Paris Convention and the Patent Cooperation Treaty by which all the countries that are members of this, they've agreed to um, – to respect each other's like filing dates. So for example, I could file 
my patent in America, and within one year I can file it in Europe or China uh, and get the same priority date. And a priority date is important because the date that you file is the date that is used to determine whether it's new. So if someone comes up with an invention um, similar to yours three months after you filed, then yours is still new. But if they did it before you filed, then yours might not be new. So that's why the, the priority date matters. So there are there are treaties, and then there's the other the, the other way the treaties work in the, in the WIPO and things like this. Basically, the United States and, and copyright is the Berne Convention, by the way, and it's the Madrid Protocol for trademarks. So there's all these international treaties where countries try to harmonize their laws, but it's not really international for patents. It's just that every country tries to have a similar type of standard. So what happens is the United States, because we have the strongest intellectual property um, sort of industries, basically the pharmaceutical industry for patents and <clears throat> and um, and then Hollywood and the music industry for copyright. So they lobby Congress to twist the arms of all of our trading partners to keep ratcheting up their own patent and copyright laws and enforcement to match what we're doing. So that American companies can go over there and <laughs> rape the consumers like they do here, um, which is why the, the copyright term keeps going up twenty years at a time. And you know, finally, Canada will exceed and they'll do it. And then, the part actually, this is part of this this entire current China, U.S. Uh, tariff war, trade war, where we we keep accusing China of stealing our intellectual property. Um, as a pretense to raise our tariffs on them. And part of that is that China doesn't really enforce their patent and copyright as, uh, as severely as the U.S. does. And it's really severe in the U.S. I mean, there are criminal penalties for copyright violation. As you know, um, Aaron, um, the, the guy, the, the, young, the young man, the student that invented RSS, uh, uh, he, was, he was the one accused uh, in facing decades in federal prison um, for uh, uploading scientific papers at Columbia or one of these universities to the internet, and he committed suicide. Remember, uh, I'm forgetting his last name now, Aaron something. Um, well, most countries don't have, um, they don't enforce the IP to the same extent the U.S. does because it's usually the, uh, the U.S. industries like pharmaceutical and Hollywood and the music industry that push this. Um, so, for example, it's easier to have counterfeit goods, which is a trademark problem, or it's easier to have pirated music or pirated uh, uh, software in China. Um, and if there's someone knocking off a product, which might violate the patents owned by uh, some company, uh, it's not, generally not as efficient and easy to go to court and get that stopped. Uh, their legal system is not as, quote, advanced or developed as ours is. Um, is, is how the U.S. would look at it. I would look at it as it's a good thing. but uh, So we're always pushing China to uh, increase their intellectual property protection and other countries too. Now, this is a little bit of a tangent, but um, in the China situation, when Trump is accusing China of IP theft, I think most people are thinking of all the knockoffs and the lax copyright piracy enforcement that China does. But I think what Trump is really talking about is something slightly different, which is um, China just doesn't have as much of a free market as, as the U.S. And therefore, 
you don't just have this automatic right to open up a company there and do business, especially as a foreigner. You have to get the permission of the government. And what they will do is they will say that we're only going to give you a license or a permission to do business here if you partner up with a Chinese firm. So it's like it's sort of like uh, it's just not a free market. And when you partner up with a Chinese firm, then they're going to learn your trade secrets because they're helping you manufacture your iPhones or whatever. So it's a trade secret issue, which is a fourth type of IP, trade secrets. So it's not really IP theft. It's simply the fact that the lack of a pure free market in China makes American companies agree to reveal some of their secrets to their Chinese partners as part of the price of doing business in China. So it really has literally nothing to do with free trade. Um, and uh, it's not good that China doesn't respect property rights, but we don't either. But um, anyway, so that's the situation. Um, and so just just to kind of reiterate, um, and, 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 and to put this in a little context of, the, of our discussion, um, <clears throat> about a year ago, I was going to London for a for a Mises conference, a Mises Institute UK conference. And I had been arguing on Twitter with this Craig Wright character that you're talking about because he is sort of a libertarian, but he's one of these old school objectivist types who believe in intellectual property. And we, we and, and I really know a lot about this topic because I'm an IP lawyer and I'm a libertarian and I've thought about it for 25 years. And, um, He's just he's just wrong because he's promoting patent law and saying it's a good thing. He's talk he's giving the same old arguments that Ayn Rand and the uh, the traditional arguments that have been given for it. Um, and so I think I challenged him or he challenged me to a debate, and I didn't even know where he lived. Uh, I, I thought he lived in Australia or something. I had no idea. And uh, he says, "Well, I'm in London." I said, "Well, I'm going to London next week." So he set up a debate, and we had a debate about intellectual property. So that's on my website if anyone's interested. And at the time, of course, I could tell that Craig was very pro-patent and pro-intellectual property, and he, of course, was bragging at the time about all the patents that he was starting to file um, in the blockchain space. And so I've monitored that since then because of that. And so, yeah, so that's what you called me about. And um, uh, uh, so we can talk if you want about what patent trolls are and what the threat would be to the Bitcoin ecosystem of Craig or in chain and his patents and other patents, if you want. Yeah, that, that would be perfect. Cause you know, some of the questions I had was, um, about the ability to patent, you know, open source software, uh, as well as, you know, I've kind of been around, uh, uh, you know, just, I remember years and years back, there was an issue, um, probably about the same time I got into Bitcoin with where I first became, aware of the patent trolling issue and it had to do with actually podcasters itself. And, and you know, uh, I was wondering if you could actually kind of explain to a little bit, the people most of the time kind of, they, or they should by now understand kind of what a patent is. And most people know what trolling is on the internet, but patent trolling itself is uh, kind of a pretty interesting, interesting phenomenon in, in, uh, um, in the legal world. It is. And I would imagine a lot of your listeners probably are not really um, already on the same wavelength as I am on patents, so they might be a little surprised. Um, so I just want to make it clear that 
my opposition to the patent system is not some anti-technology or anti-innovation or anti-capitalism stance. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I just want to make that clear. Because I actually understand what the patent system does and how patents actually work, which, by the way, most people do not. It's really, really difficult to get a non-patent attorney to explain how patents work. You can do it. It would take me probably an hour or two or three because it's very non-intuitive and it's very arcane. It's almost like the tax code or some kind of uh, non-intuitive and complicated um, legal system that we have that we let the specialists handle. The patent system is like that. So just as an example, having a patent does not give you the right to do anything. Most people don't even understand that. It only gives you the right to prevent people from doing something. So if you have a patent on a, on a, on a machine, that doesn't mean you have the right to make that machine. It only means you have the right to stop other people from making it. And that simple implication has uh, – that has lots of implications for the way the patent system works. But in any case – and you also don't have to make or sell the device. And in fact, as I just mentioned, you might not even have the right to do that. But you don't have to make or sell the device or the process that you have a patent on uh, in order to have a patent. You just have this – basically, it's a legal threat standing out there. So I just want to make it clear. The reason that I'm opposed to the patent system is because I'm pro-innovation and pro-technology and pro-ideas and pro-capitalism and pro-property rights, and the patent system undercuts and undermines those things. So most people think that the patent system is just a property right. It's part of the capitalist Western system, but that's just a lie. This is the propaganda that's been spread by the special interests that benefit from it. So I just – and I've argued this in many different ways extensively, and we can't do that here. But – um, go ahead. Uh, uh, what I'll say is that um, I will include. There's a couple episodes that you did on Tom Woods, and uh, they're pretty good. Uh, you know, Tom's show is a pretty good way to kind of get a good, concise overview of a topic. And there's a couple episodes that you did um, on patents and liberty, and then um, there, there's a couple other ones that that I'll include in the show notes that kind of gives your overview on why patents are not compatible with liberty and, and your, your case against them. So yeah, in, fa in fact, just uh, yeah. And, and, and uh, I have a website called C4 SIF center for the study of innovative freedom. And on that site, I have some resources with links to like my best talks and my best resources that kind of summarize this. But, um, I just want people to understand that this is not an, a lefty or an anti-property rights thing. This is – I actually believe if we abolish the patent system, if we had done it long ago, we would be so much more advanced now. We would have innovation. Th this whole thing, I don't know if it got cut off in our little gap there, but Apple and Samsung, for example, all these giants, these giant companies can accumulate these massive patent uh, uh, portfolios. And I don't know if we heard this, but they, let's say a patent costs ten to ten to twenty thousand dollars per country per invention. So it's very expensive. Like if you have one good invention and you want to cover it around the world, well, no one covers it around the world because you would have to pay so many patent offices. So you you do the major countries like China and Europe and uh, somewhere where you have a production center or whatever. So it might cost $100,000 per patent, let's say, something like that, if you want to get international coverage. So it's expensive, right? And then you have to maintain these things. They last about 17 years, and you have to pay maintenance fees or what they call annuities every three or four years, So the and they go up exponentially over time. So it's expensive to maintain these patent portfolios and to acquire them, which is why the legacy in the established industries – 
have them, like IBM and Microsoft and, and, and Apple and Samsung, which means that, yeah, they will sue each other. But then guess what happens? They just pay the lawyers tens of millions of dollars for two or three or four years to battle this out. And then they finally come to an agreement, a settlement. Now, <laughs> I'm not a fan of antitrust law. However, if antitrust law were to be applied, you would, you would think it would apply to this because you have two large competitors settling or agreeing with each other. But no one else can, can compete because all these little companies that want to start up they they if they started competing they would be sued with a patent lawsuit from one of the big companies and they wouldn't have any of their own patents to fight back with so they would instantly be killed which is why they don't even try which is why that we basically patents give rise to oligopolies or cartels this is this is why we only have a few, a few companies for example making smartphones instead of tons of companies making innovative smartphones so it slows down innovation and progress in all aspects of human life Pharmaceuticals, uh, flying cars, nuclear power—everything—it's just—it's just a holocaust on the human race. The, the patent system, um, and so because you don't have to um, make or or ever even prove really that your invention works, um, the patent troll phenomenon has arisen. And if you want, I can explain that. Um, yeah, you want to that, go into patent trolls? Yeah, that that'd be great because I think that that's integral to where this is going to be going. Because I don't think that this gentleman is doing all this and making you know one being very public about it, uh, but especially two actually doing it in the first place and taking all the time to do so because they just want to um measure their 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 academic uh, you know what uh, on, on in public i think that it's it's there for a reason so i think that how this thing actually goes about is is a good thing for the for the audience and for the for the bitcoin space to hear it as kind of a so they can kind of see where this is going so as things develop they can go oh okay you know this is the next step in in this sort of uh, patent trolling um, um, litigation. So, again, the patent system is arcane and hard to understand, so bear with me for a second. It just takes a little bit of explanation. As you can tell, I have a uh, a contrarian or, or a different view about the whole patent system than you would hear normally. And I also have a different view of my critiques of the patent system than people that criticize the patent system. Most people that criticize the patent system or basically these technocratic uh, like uh, knob twiddlers. They just want to tweak things and make them work a little bit better. They're not principled. They're not abolitionist. They don't want to abolish the patent system. They just say, oh, the patent system is broken or it's gotten out of hand. Uh, and then they will point to what they see as abuses. So from my point of view, there is no such thing as an abuse of the patent system. The patent system is doing exactly what it was designed to do. It set up, it set up these monopoly rents for certain companies that have the ability to file and use patents. And that's the natural and predicted consequence of having such a system. Um, and they will point to, for example, they will complain about the patent office being inefficient and issuing what they call low quality or bad patents, which means an examiner grants a patent he, quote, shouldn't have because it really wasn't novel or new. 
or they will complain about patent trolls who get to sue people um, even though they're not making the product that they're suing their victim for. So you have these weird complaints. So that's what a patent troll is. A patent troll is someone – it comes from the analogy to a troll right? who guards a bridge and wants to pass um, – impose a toll or a fine or a fee for you to use the bridge. So he, he it's, it's so basically a, what a patent troll is Samsung and Apple are non-patent trolls because they each make these products, these smartphones for example, and they each have hundreds or thousands of patents that apply to different aspects of things related to the features of smartphones. And uh they can sue each other and ideally the goal is to stop the other comp- uh, competitor from making it, and then then you have your monopoly. You can charge monopoly prices. That's the whole point of the patent system. So the the primary problem with the patent system is number one, a competitor suing another competitor for a good patent. That is a patent that was not a novel invention that can be enforced because if you sue someone for a patent that shouldn't have been granted, then you might lose in court because the court might say, okay, the patent shouldn't have been granted. We're going to invalidate it and overrule the patent office, and so you might lose. So everyone complains about low-quality patents, which is an inevitable result of having a government-run bureaucracy do these things in the first place, which they're in favor of. So they have really no right to complain, but this is an inevitable result. So you'll have, let's say, two-thirds of all patents granted probably should not have been granted in an ideal world if the patent examiners were omniscient and had access to all the prior art that's out there in the world. And they could have found something similar that was published five years ago, but they just missed it in their search, and so they grant the patent. right? So this is – but the confusion in this error – the confusion is that it's the low-quality patents that are not the big threat. Yeah, you can sue someone for a low-quality patent, but because you know that you might lose in court because it's a low-quality patent, you're not going to ask as much, or you might not have never assert it in the first place. So the real danger of the patent system are the good patents, and people complain about patent trolls, which is someone – so here's what happens. You have some startup company, and they, they have some new process and some new ideas. They file five or ten 20 patents as they're starting up, and then they go out of business, let's say, because they just don't make it. So the bankruptcy trustee sells off their patents as one of their assets, and it's bought up by some company. That's a patent troll. And they buy these patents up, and they never have any intention of making the things described in the patent. But they look, they, they start hunting for companies that are working and existing that might be possibly infringing the claims of the patent that they just bought, and they send them a letter, a polite letter with teeth that says, Hi, we noticed that you're doing great with this product, and we have these patents. We thought you might be interested in discussing a license with us. They don't want to say we're going to sue you because then the victim could file an anticipatory declaratory judgment action in the forum of their choice, and usually these plaintiffs want to file in Marshall, Texas, the Eastern District of Texas, where there's usually higher verdicts because the the town has come to depend upon that reputation and all the jur- all the citizens and they're always jurors and the judges anyway it's a whole racket right the point is there's a game that's played it's like the mafia like you have a guy in the mafia come by your butcher shop and he goes hey it's a nice place you got here 
sure would be a shame if something happened to it. If you give me a little money, me and my guys can keep an eye out on it for you and make sure nothing happens to it. You know, it's basically they're asking for a taste. They're taking a cut. There basically is a shakedown. It's an extortion attempt. Um, and that is exactly what patent trolls do. They come, they approach companies, and they basically hint that they have these patents that you might be violating, but they'll go away for a little tiny cut of your action. Now, you see, these guys don't want to kill you because they want a cut of your action. So they're not an existential threat like a competitor is. If your competitor has a patent, they want to kill you. They don't want you competing with them. They want to use the power of the courts to issue an injunction to shut you down and say you can no longer sell Samsung phones or whatever. And that is the big threat to the free market, right? Uh, the patent troll is basically a tax. It's someone who approaches you and they threaten you with a lawsuit, but they will go away if you give them a tiny royalty on all of your sales. So it's a burden on your business, but you can survive. Now, patent trolls are despicable, but they're the natural result of having a patent system in the first place. But patent trolls are not the real problem. They're not as much of a threat as actual non-trolls are. So every uh, the media and all the these uh, mainstream crit critics of the patent system have it totally backwards. Good patents are the problem. Non-trolls are the problem. If we had a perfectly efficient omniscient patent system where we only issued one hundredth of the patents we issue now and every one of them was 100% valid and could never be challenged in court and could only be issued to people that are actually practicing the, the, the invention, it would be the worst thing in the world because then you would have a true um, – the, the true threat would emerge or, or that would be the, the, the pure problem of the patent system. So back to the Bitcoin situation. Um, I mean, I would have said a month or two or three ago that Craig Wright and Inchain are trying to become patent trolls. Here, here's my guess. I think they've filed – they claim to have filed dozens or even hundreds of patents. Now, unless they made some deal with some Indian sweatshop or some, some weird stuff like that uh, where they're paying 3000 bucks each and they're only getting coverage in one or two countries each and they're filing utility model patents – instead of utility patents, which is uh, basically worthless. In some countries, you can file what's called a utility model patent, which is like a design patent. It's just um, – it's not examined for, for, for non-obviousness, et cetera. Anyway, the point is it's like, a, it's like a, a poor man's patent. So I don't know what his portfolio consists of. I imagine it's, it's an assembly of um, some utility patents, probably some in the U.S., and some in China and Europe, and probably some are utility models. And they might have made a deal with some kind of some kind of low rent guys cranking it out. Because my impression of these Bitcoin guys is most of them are very much tight wads, although they pretend like they're big spenders and they have their Lamborghinis. So it's possible they're spending twenty thousand dollars per patent. They've got five hundred filed, but that'd be a lot of money if you just do the math. And the price of Bitcoin Cash and BSV is not very high, so. I don't know. I find it. Um, I don't find it likely. And I also. So here's the other thing. Patents, as I mentioned, can basically be applied to a composition of matter, which is like a drug or a chemical, or, or or a machine, like an apparatus, or a process. And that's probably what they're doing because process patents or method patents. Are we still on? I want to make sure.
Yeah, no, no, we are still on. So process patents are the primary way that you can use the patent system to cover software or software type inventions, okay? Because software is basically a method of steps, right? It's a flowchart. It's the way things are done. Um, so that, that's why software can be covered by copyright because there's source code, which is a r- original writing, like it's a novel. The, the government thinks of that as like uh, fiction or something or yeah. some original creative work. It's actually, I, I was going to say, because it, it just, this kind of goes back to it, uh, an episode I just had two, two of them ago. Um, just as an aside, there's a gentleman, uh, Phil Zimmerman, who invented PGP, which is the first kind of like encryption program for email and all that kind of stuff. And the way they got around the uh, State Department calling it basically a munition was they published it in paper and then they were allowed to publish it in a book and ship it around the world as a fiction because if it's written, it's it's not it's not in the in the same thing. And uh, it was kind of a, it, they kind of moved the bar uh, as far as for code, but. Um, anyways, well, I'm sorry and this to... is yeah, it, it, no, no. That's actually I mentioned earlier that the patent system is hard to understand because it's an arcane system, and I mentioned um, uh, some of the other systems and one, oh, some of the other legal legal regimes, and one of them is this export munitions control, which I've dealt a little bit with. It's, you wouldn't believe the length of of regulations and laws that are on the books of law libraries that go into this. You have to be a lifelong specialist just to figure this stuff out. And if you remember, there was something similar with um, the code that helped you uh, rip DVDs a few years ago. Remember they put that on t-shirts. They put the, they put the key on t-shirts because it it was being banned as an export of a, of a technology or something. If you put it online, so people just put it on a t-shirt. So the point is when you have the law treat, information um basically as a legally protectable object which is what copyright does it's what patent law does to an extent it's what trade secret and trademark do which are all ip law and also what defamation law by the way does uh you know um um saying you have a right to your reputation which is just information about you so what people think about you and also um this export control technology like if you email someone a file which has software in it, like this PGP stuff, um, the government could consider that to be an export of technology without a license, and then you, you can go to federal prison. So when the, when the law treats things as objects of property that are not naturally so, it's going to necessarily lead to injustice and discretion on the part of the government to do what they want and to all kinds of horrible results. Um, because it makes no sense, and, and it's going to lead to a specialization of lawyers in different fields who people pay tons of money to answer questions because no one can figure this out anyway. And even the lawyers don't know the answers; they'll just give an opinion. Six hundred bucks an hour, I'll write you an opinion, um, but I can't guarantee this opinion is right because I'm just basically predicting what a hypothetical judge might do down the corner if they get this in front of them. But you know, then you have a you have a CYA, a cover your ass thing, so that you can say, "Oh, I did the responsible thing. I hired a lawyer. I paid him, I paid him fifty thousand bucks for this opinion, and I'm relying upon it. So the board can't fire me, and if they fire me, they can't sue me for um, not doing my duty. I mean, the whole thing is just a huge waste of money and time, and a distraction of the purpose of innovation, technology, and business. 
So, in any case, I am a huge, huge, huge Bitcoin um, uh, optimist and proponent and enthusiast and hopeful. When I say I'm an expert, I'm just a guy on the side who's following it and hoping that we find one way to um, improve the economy and also to help defeat the state, to be frankly, to be frank. Um, and I am, of course, concerned that uh, the reason I lost my bet with VJ was because I thought the government would end up killing it by direct regulation. But that's not the only way. I mean… There are other laws, there are banking regulations, the tax laws, capital gains tax, the legal tender laws that we have, um, combined with the patent system itself, I don't know what damage they could do. I have no doubt that there is some kind of lurking, looming threat in the background uh, because of in-chain's block, uh, alleged blockchain patents. Now, I will say this. I have not reviewed his portfolio. My guess is that 90% or more of his patents are total BS. That's just my guess. I mean, he just sits down with a patent lawyer or someone who pretends to be a patent lawyer because he wants to pay less than normal. This is all just a guess, by the way, because uh, this guy's litigious and he sues people for defamation, right? For for, uh, for yeah. saying he's not really he's not really Satoshi. So that's the other thing, right? He's I mean. Craig Wright's company, from what I understand, or someone associated with Bitcoin.com or someone, they've sued in Florida. They've sued some of the BCH people for antitrust for the way the BCH-BSV split went down. So they're using American federal antitrust law. Um, there's, some there's some lawsuits or threats of lawsuits for antitrust uh, – sorry, for defamation. Uh, by Craig, and then there's of course the patent suit. So you have all these three totally evil American laws: antitrust law, defamation law, and and patent law, and copyright law, and trademark law. All of them. I, I even heard a trademark thing the other day. I heard that um, some of the Bitcoin Cash or was it Bitcoin SV people were threatening the Bitcoin, the BTC people, the Bitcoin Core people. They were threatening them with trademark infringement for basically lying by saying they're Bitcoin. So they were trying to say that Bitcoin Core, if they call themselves Bitcoin, they're deceiving customers because they're not really Bitcoin, right? Whatever. I, and you can argue in the Bitcoin community on which one you prefer, which one you like, which argument you like. Fine. I understand the BSV, the BCH, the BTC story, the Ethereum story, Litecoin, all of it. Everyone's got their story. That's fine. But when you use when you start threatening to use government trademark law, I mean, now you're resorting to state monopolies and force, and the whole thing is nasty. And, and the, to me, this just highlights the problem of having IP law at all. I am totally opposed to every single form of intellectual property law. I'm opposed to trade secret law, trademark law, defamation law, patent law, and copyright law, and the worst is patent law, and the, set, the next is copyright. The others are far behind, but they're all horrible, and they're all used for evil, and they all do no good, and they're all totally unnecessary and useless. And in a free market, we wouldn't need any of them. We would just need property rights, contract, and fraud law. That's all we would really need. 
Hey folks, I hope that you're enjoying this episode as much as we are. I don't have any sponsors, so if you could go over to supportmypodcast.com, you'll see all the different ways that you can support the podcast from Amazon links to a bunch of other stuff. You could back us on Bitbacker with crypto, but most of all, if you can go to iTunes and leave a five star and a written review, it'd be very, very helpful. So thanks again and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, you know, the concept of of suing over the word Bitcoin um, and who can actually yes. use that has been kind of bandied about since the actual fork um, in, in August of 2017. So that's kind of something that's been tossed around but never actually touched on it's a, well if, if if anyone if anyone were to be sued it would be the bitcoin cash people because it, i mean i was part of this i was in there and i i literally saw in front of my eyes i saw some people in december whenever it was uh of that year bought they were buying bitcoin cash because they thought they were buying bitcoin because it was so much mm-hmm. cheaper right it was like 2500 as, as opposed to 15000 or whatever the ratio and setting it to the wrong wallet yeah, and there. So now, personally, I'm a libertarian. I believe in caveat emptor, like let the buyer beware. And if someone is so stupid they make a mistake, I, I think they should bear the brunt of that. But if I'm just saying, if you want to make any argument at all about con- consumer confusion, it was the Bitcoin Cash people. I don't know if they did it on purpose because they were trying to win this war psychologically in the minds of people by just using the term, right? So everyone was arguing, and it was a tactic they were using. So I don't really feel too sorry for the customers who were not smart enough to know what they were buying. I, I blame Coinbase. Like for example, Coinbase should have made it clear here. You can buy a or B and here's the difference. Do whatever you want, but understand that they're different, but whatever it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a turbulent time. So I understand, but just the fact that some people have mooted the idea of using trademark law, uh, to get a class action or, or a suit against the Bitcoin core team because they're using the term Bitcoin. It just shows to me that the people that are doing that have lost. Like if, if, if your only resort is a lawsuit, then you've lost in the market, which is what I think BSV mm-hmm. people are doing in part with the BCH people. Um, with this antitrust lawsuit. I, I would tend to agree. I think that especially when you're the people who are really hardcore in BTC, BCH or BSV, not, not, not kind of people on the outside who go like, well, I agree with, with this group or that group or that group, but the people are actually really into it. Um, for the most part, I think they're, they're it's strange that there's a lot of common overlap um, in their, their kind of their ideology, which is, to me is a little bit weird, but maybe not so much. But uh, the, the kind of common overlap was this idea of kind of creating a, a new society or whatever you want to call it, you know, around a, a decentralized money. And it just it always weirded me out a little bit like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to sue so and so for for whatever. But um, with I, I was going to say, because you were talking about with 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 Craig and they actually just started, I guess it's now it's over like six weeks ago. Five weeks ago, they started to uh, advertise for a well, specifically European patent attorney um, to basically work full time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for them. And mm-hmm. I kind of see this as, like you said, it's there, there's a bunch of different attack vectors. 
within the legal realm itself. Well, but I see this as kind of to me. And granted, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. This is just kind of uh, an amateur uh, idiot just kind of looking on the sidelines. But it's the same way that he's been running the defamation lawsuits, you see he sues somebody and a majority of people will issue the statement and they will say, sorry, you were wrong. Yes. I absolutely back off. You're right. And they, for the most part, those people are not going to even talk about Craig. They're not going to talk about an chain. They're not going to talk about anything from here on out because they're just not going to want to deal with it. The same reason that they did not uh, deal with it in, in the first place uh, is because they just don't have the 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 bandwidth mentally, uh, time wise or more than likely monetarily. And I see this as kind of the same way with the patent trolling option that they're going to go for is that. They're just going to sue minority. Like there was a little bit of a talk early yes. on on um, with the hash wars of them marshalling hash power with their mining to attack minority chains, smaller chains that that they could gain. The majority of them get you know this kind of in the more technical side, but take them over, um, basically strip them of assets uh, in in a way, sell it off, whatever they can, move on to the next thing. I, 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 this may still be happening or not. I, I, I don't really know, but I see this, the legal side as being kind of like another pincer move on this. They just sue. Uh, and there's a, there's a smaller chain that doesn't have, you know, BTC type folks and devs may, may have the ability to marshal enough. Um, what do you want to call it? Crowdfunded uh, kind of legal services, but someone on some smaller chain may not, and they may just go, it's not worth it. Well, let me give you my kind of guess on all this because I don't really know for sure. Uh, I don't think anyone really knows. Um, the way actual sophisticated companies do this is they do some of the stuff you're talking about. There's all kinds of sophisticated patent lawyer strategies for it's called picket fencing and like this pincher move you're talking about. Uh, and patent trolls have a certain strategy. Um, my guess, to be honest, and I don't want to disparage this this Craig Wright guy or whatever his real name is, um, because he's litigious and he's in. Uh, but I I don't really think there's a grand strategy behind this. Um, I think that I think that he personally is some kind of dumb Ayn Randian type who thinks that patents are great and thinks that. And and let, let me let me explain this too. A lot of startup companies they get patents. Okay, we have a com we have a country and we have a market. We have a system where the patent system is entrenched. So if you're going to start a company up and get investors, you have to answer questions. There's a checklist of stuff you got to answer. All right, I've been part of startups. I know how this works. And they're gonna wanna they're gonna wanna ask the stuff you're asking. They're gonna say. Uh, do you have insurance? <laughs> do you have an anti-discrimination policy? You know, are you following the, the HR stuff? And they're going to say, are you protecting your IP? They're just going to ask that as a matter of course. And you're going to say, yeah, we have Baker and Bots in Houston and we've hired them. They do our patents and they make sure that we're doing the stuff you need to do. And they spend, you know, 0.02% of their budget on patents. And I mean, it's just like a game at this point. It's a deadweight loss, but and so if when you want to get an investor, if you tell them, no, I am opposed to patents and I don't have any, they're going to get nervous. So you got to play the game. So 
I think half of this is just bluster and uh, PR. It's a way to intimidate people and to make them think you're the one who's coming up with all the innovations because people mistakenly equate patents with innovation. So if you have all these patents, you must be the innovator behind it, and maybe Bitcoin Cash, which he was originally uh, stumping for, right? Maybe that's the real innovating company, not the Bitcoin core dumbasses, right? So it's like I think it's all a PR thing. Uh, my guess is he's spending way, way, way less per quote-unquote patent than the average company I deal with and represent. I can't imagine they're spending $20,000 per patent. I mean, what do you claim? You have 50 or 100 or 150 or 200 patents? And if those are multiplied times two or three or four they, jurisdictions, they claim we're talking, like six hundred. Yeah, so take a hundred thousand dollars times two hundred. I mean, I I just don't believe it, and I also don't believe that he has that many. I know how this works. These these guys sit down in a room with patent lawyers like me, and they just brainstorm. They go. What about if I have the register carry this zero over here this way? Would that be a good idea? The patent lawyer goes, sure, I'll, you can pay me 10000 bucks, and I'll apply for that too. Maybe some dumbass uh, patent examiner who just got came off the boat from Vietnam. I mean this is how it works. I'm, I mean I'm telling you, I've dealt with this crap. I mean it, the whole thing is a racket. So maybe they'll say, oh, sure, we'll do that too. Let's just let's – just, it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall. You throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall. You see what sticks. Maybe 1% sticks. I honestly doubt there's a single serious innovative idea in the entire portfolio of this dude. I'd be willing to look at it, but I really doubt it. But the problem is once you get a patent issued by a dumbass government patent office, it's got what we call a presumption of validity. That means it's now legally presumed to be valid, which means it's legally presumed that it was novel, it was not obvious because the examiner, who's an expert, right? This is what the juries did. Jurors are dumbasses. They have no freaking idea. They think you got these PhD scientists that are sitting there in these labs in the in, in DC who are examining these patents. They they know everything. And if they say that some guy files a patent on a new way of 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 of, of uh, you know encrypting a digit for a blockchain that it must be novel and it must be an amazing invention. So they believe everything, right? And there's a presumption of validity. So that means it's a bigger legal threat. This is the problem with the patent system. You can use it as a threat. Now, it, you can defend it in court. You can, you can make them prove it, and it's often hard for them to prove it, but it's going to take you $100,000, maybe a million dollars to pay an attorney to defend you to prove your case, which is why People roll over and they just pay $5,000, $10,000 fees to these trolls. This is the whole problem with the whole system. Um, I mean, one solution would be to eliminate A, B, and, you know, to eliminate the presumption of validity, whatever. But I'm just telling this is what's going on. So I think my guess is this is a gamble by Inchain and Craig. Get a bunch of patents. No one understands what patents are. They think that we have power, they think that we're the innovators. And Maybe someone will buy us or buy a subsidiary, and part of the valuation, when they evaluate the value of this subsidiary company or whatever they're going to buy from us, they will give some value to the to the IP. So like, oh, maybe we're worth one point eight million, but now we're worth two point seven million because we have a bunch of IP. So it's all 
it's all just a numbers game and a big, uh, it's a big farce. But that's what I guess my guess is that's going on. I'm not stating this as a fact. I don't know this for sure. I'm not saying there's any deception or fraud, to be clear. But I think that it's just a game. Plus, I think Craig is himself a Randy and a stupid Randy, and he believes in IP, so he thinks that it's a way of self-aggrandizing himself. Plus, he's a big narcissist, right? So, I mean, it, it all goes along with everything. So, it is a threat. The, so what's the, what should the response be? What's the solution, right? Well, the solution is to abolish the patent system. But in the meantime, people should educate themselves on the way the software system works, the way these public licenses work, the way the patent system works. Um, and I've written a lot on this myself. And they should also call to task members of the Bitcoin community. Oh, the other thing I, I wanted to mention I forgot to get to. Um, there is a... Uh, there is a phenomenon where you have these standards groups. You know what I mean? Standardization groups like IEEE and these other groups. So yeah, of course. you have these big companies collaborate together to come up with standards, laser patent standards, uh, you know, um, USB-C standards, whatever. And because of the weird government interplay between um, antitrust law and patent law, and it's weird because the government grants patents, which are literally monopolies, but the government also claims that they make it illegal to have a monopoly or to attempt to monopolize or to abuse a monopoly, all three. Um, there's a, there's a what the government courts call attention. <laughs> Just like there's a tension between copyright and the First Amendment, because the First Amendment means freedom of speech and freedom of the press, and yet copyright means you can use government courts to stop people from publishing a book. So there's a quote-unquote tension, right? The tension arises because government makes these laws up and they're not natural. Um, the same thing with antitrust and, and patent law. Um, so the, the but the, but but the the point is that um, that because of the so-called tension between antitrust law and patent law, where the government's granting monopoly on one hand with patents, and they're discouraging monopolies on the other hand with antitrust law, um, there is some kind of institutional reluctance on the part of standard-setting committees and organizational and uh, industrial groups to abuse too much their patents if they're part of the standards committee. So for example, if you're Intel or you're Apple and you're part of a standards committee and you, you help to develop a standard and you're secretly patenting it in the background, and then you get everyone in the world to adopt this USB standard or whatever, and then you start suing everyone, everyone's going to go crazy. Like, wait a minute, you told us to do it. So you're kind of acting like it's an open thing you want to promote, and at the same time you're suing us. So, and then the courts might uh, might slap you down and say, "Oh, you're abusing, uh, you're abusing your patent monopoly, and the antitrust law is going to kick in now." So there's all these weird um, ways that the laws work out on this. Now, in the Bitcoin context, what is Bitcoin? Oh, this is the other thing I want to mention. The unique thing about Bitcoin, and I'm just talking about Bitcoin itself, and you can extrapolate this to any of the uh, of the emulators like Bitcoin Cash or 
SV or whatever. It's a decentralized ledger, not run by the government. There's no single company that controls it, at least in the case of BTC, which means that let's say Craig Wright or Inchain sued, sued, wanted to sue for patent infringement. Who's he going to sue? Who's the, who's the defendant? There's no centralized organization to sue. And even if he sues someone, he gets a court to side in its favor. Okay, people that are using my technique. So let's, let's say that the blockchain, let's say Bitcoin Core adopts a brand new technique and everyone accepts it and they integrate it into the, uh, the code um, for verifying a certain I, – I, I'm talking out of my head because I don't know how the technology works. Let's just say they, they implement some new technique, and it happens to be similar to a patent that Craig Wright filed. You with me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So who's he going to sue? I mean, Bitcoin is distributed. It's just basically a program that's being run on thousands of computers around the world by uh, everyone who's got a full node, right? Or maybe miners. I actually don't even understand the difference. But the point is, there's thousands of people that are just, they have their own little computers in their own living room, and they're running a program and they're connecting to each other. So, what are you going to, there's no corporation to sue. This is exactly why. I think that Craig Wright's um, – I'm saying Craig Wright. It might not be Craig Wright. Whoever, whoever instigated that antitrust lawsuit uh, in Florida, um, it was uh, whatever company that was that did that. Um, they're trying to get a judge to issue an injunction. More than likely, probably Enchain. Enchain, um, okay, is fine. This company that he actually – Yeah. So they're trying to get a judge to issue an injunction to roll – if I understand right, they want to force – the main kind of players in the Bitcoin Cash uh, blockchain, uh, uh, Roger Ver, and these are, they're trying to force them to roll back the blockchain. Now, this is, you know, this is the whole beauty of the the Bitcoin scheme schema. It's it's like an indelible. Uh, uh, multi-layered, you know, fly fly trapped in thousands of layers of amber. The government just can't. It's this uncensorable. The government, there's no one to order to do it. What are they going to do? What's the government? What's a court in Florida going to do? Send an order out to fifteen thousand people around the world saying, "We hereby order you to change the pointer in your in your node software to this to this network and and adopt this change and reverse this thing." It's not going to happen. It's ridiculous. I mean, a government court has force and power, and they can tell one person to do something. They could. They can say, you will do the following. You will go to your bank, and you will unlock this safety deposit box and take out what's in there and give it to this woman, or you're, we're going to put you in jail for contempt of court. They can do that. They can manhandle people, but not with Bitcoin. That's the whole benefit of it. That's the whole beauty of it. So I see the whole perp- the whole point of any lawsuit, uh, this antitrust lawsuit, or especially a patent infringement lawsuit, is totally futile. There's no one to sue. Like all the victim, all all the defendants just disperse into the crowd. You just can't make millions of decentralized anonymous people around the world uh, change their computer hard drives because of some government court in Florida or 
Eastern District of Texas in a patent lawsuit tells them to. It's just not going to work, which, I mean, you know, I'm an anarchist, so I think that's beautiful. To me, this is chaos. This is, you know, people think this is chaos. Oh, the government can't control things anymore. I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. So my point is, though, I think that the patent threat posed by these in-chain patents in blockchain, first of all, I think that most of them are probably bullshit patents. Probably, if I had to guess, all of them. Um, and second of all, there's no one you can enforce it against except a few prominent companies. Yes, they could sue uh, Bitcoin Core. If that's some incorporated company in some regime, they could go after them. But then you have to have a patent battle. Um, so it's a threat, but I think the threat is not as bad as you might at first think. I think it's a it's mostly mm-hmm. um, a paper tiger. I think mostly it's 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 some guy blustering and pretending to be the innovator and pretending to be the main guy and paying some kind of bozo to file a bunch of BS patents and to intimidate people who don't understand the patent system. That's my opinion. Well, the only thing that, that I, I'm kind of worried about, and not to throw this in right at the end, because I, I, I cognizant at the time we're recording this in the evening um, for everybody listening, they're probably listening during the daytime um, and, and, and pretty late. Um, you were quite uh, uh, kind to, to come on the, uh, this late, but uh the one thing that that I have a concern with is that if there's some of the future changes, like let's just say something like Schnorr signatures is something that's um, uh, kind of a future change that people in Bitcoin have been talking about. If he filed some sort of patent that was somewhat similar, right? Doesn't that actually even have to be anything really exact? Has to be something similar enough. Is that uh, m- my issue is is maybe he could be actually suing developers because the one centralization aspect of bitcoin that i that i have been able to figure out is that um this is not a hundred percent but so the bitcoin core team with btc um and even with bitcoin abc team with bch and then you know the bcv team or anybody whatever um um, project we're talking about but just talking about bitcoin btc the the big dog uh there's a bitcoin core team and i think i I may be speaking out of turn but it's roughly about six people actually hold the keys to the github repository so if there's a new change they push it out into github it gets they they push that in the way that github github works roughly and, and like I said, I'm, I'm somewhat of an amateur. I've done like a little bit of messing around with this kind of stuff. But you basically, um, if you're an outsider, you push uh, a, a new change into it. And whoever actually holds the keys can actually commit that change to the actual code base. And when they do, that gets pushed out. Now, you're under no obligation if you're running a full node or if you're mining to say, yes, I accept that. I'm going to download that. And that's the, the new Bitcoin, right? So we saw that in, in in the split. But if the majority of BTC pulls in, like they did with SegWit, and we started seeing SegWit actually uh, starting to uh, become majority uh, held with most nodes, with with devs uh, with developers being able to actually push out um, a new piece of code that most people that are running a full node, which just basically validates for that user um, or miners who are validating 
um, as a miner plus actually mining it, would that, if they're accepting that code um, being pushed out by a, a small centralized group of devs, I mean, it's it's the one centralization aspect of Bitcoin. It's not 100%. Um, it's not that if, if let's say, you took out all the, co- the core devs, that Bitcoin BTC would be dead. There'd be people to step into place and 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 be able to, to to get get workarounds with that, but is that somewhat of a choke point that where you could tie them up, maybe not necessarily sue them and win, but tie them up in litigation individually? Yeah, I mean maybe. So this is, I mean, I'm not saying it's a zero threat. I'm saying it's 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 a complicated threat, and people don't quite understand it, and. Um, I mean, like I said, I lost a bet and got into Bitcoin because I thought the government would shut it down right away. And I think I was wrong about that. The government's very slow and very stupid. They did, they don't realize the threat that Bitcoin poses. So they didn't shut it down right away. And by the time they really get around to it, it might be too late because too many of their constituents are, are users. Um, I do think that the Bitcoin community people like right. There may be others. I don't know if there's any others. I'm uh, than right and in chain, but they don't. They're like trolls in that they don't want the ecosystem to die. I don't think unless they're insane or suicidal. I don't. I think they don't want it to die. So they're going to be careful anyway about using whatever threats they can. Right. They're going to want to leverage this for some kind of power or royalty or whatever. And, and by the way, what I was going to say about the uh, the standards groups is usually, you know, if you get these big players come together and they're all part of this group, there's at least an implicit understanding and sometimes an, a, a written document, which is the like the standardization agreement everyone signs, where they agree to have what's called uh, oh I forgot the the acronym. Uh, uh, non-discriminatory access to so Fanda, Franda, something like that. Like they agree that okay, if they have any IP, they will grant it to everyone on the same terms. They're not going to use it like in a monopolistic kind of way. Um, so, what I would think that the Bitcoin communities—I mean, the Bitcoin community is fairly passionate, somewhat libertarian, at least I would say—and um, they know that we're trying to nurse these babies into life, right? Whatever they are. I think pressure should be applied to make sure that everyone commits. Everyone that's got any IP commits that, look, whatever I'm doing, that's fine, but I'm not going to use it to kill this baby we're all trying to create together. So I think that there should be some kind of standardization process, right? If anyone is going to deal, like, with, if they're associated with BSV now, like, unless you commit to not killing off crypto with government IP control, then it's a problem. I mean, I, I, that's, that's the only solution I can think of. Um, no. Uh, and and th- that was basically kind of, you know, my thoughts, you know, I was just, I'm, I'm basically kind of just concerned about th- this use of a, of an attack. Vector. Like you said, like th- there was a point um, where I was also kind of going like, well, could we just basically see a, you know, Chuck Schumer was banding about it for a while. Um, the at the time, it was the uh, the 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 use of the uh, 
you know, it's only for drug dealers and terrorists and there's no other use for this technology. And then we've seen that evolve, right? We, we kind of saw that fall away. It kind of reappeared for a brief period. And then now it's, um, gosh, I, I completely drops out of my head right now. But there's just a, a congressman not too long ago who basically was on there uh, just a couple of days ago and was saying, well, Bitcoin is a threat to our ability for for uh, to, to raise taxes and our ability to, you know, kind of do a lot of the other things that a fiat currency allows them to. So it's kind of we move from we move from being nothing but drug uh, um, uh, drug dealers and and terrorists financiers to. Well, now we can't inflate this to to fund the programs that we prefer. Uh, so I, I would say that that's progress. But I, I was also surprised. Um, but I, I think a mutual friend of ours, um, uh, Vin Armani, is also kind of he's talked to me about about that as well. It's like, well, no, they couldn't have actually destroyed it if they even if they wanted to. Uh, but I think that um, there is. Uh, a bit of well, you notice that, like Craig, Craig Wright, uh, um, part of his broadside against the Bitcoin core people is that he doesn't think that Bitcoin should be used for uh, gray market or brown market or black market activities, right? Like, if he, I, th- I think they basically threatened that they would they would be happy to call the cops on you know and they've already done this with the antitrust stuff so i mean um so uh, i don't know what their vision really is it's some kind of regulated government approved pat on the head uh system right where the government uh, oh we're not infringing copyright of course you can't use it to infringe copyright or black market activities like uh uh what was the, the 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 Silk Road kind of stuff from the old days? Um, so I I don't know. I mean, so I intellectual property is basically my bugbear, and it is the my bait noir, my my black beast. You know, it's the thing that is a destructive force in human life, and it is playing its way in. In Bitcoin, and it's sad because Bitcoin is largely a libertarian community, but even some libertarians, um, mainly the idiots influenced by Ayn Rand, are confused about it. They think that it's part of capitalism. They think that oh, I should own my ideas. So there's nothing wrong with me threatening to extort people or put people in even prison if they violate my IP. So I, I think the patent threat is real, but my guess is that – I mean you mentioned PGP. PGP is what, 25, 30 years old? Yeah. Yep. Patents last 17 years at the most, so the original patents are expired by now. So eventually the patents expire. This is why patent is worse than copyright in the sense that it harms innovation. And that's the main way we have material prosperity. But it's better than copyright because copyrights last over 100 years. If patents lasted 100 years, we would be dead. I think we'd all be dead by now. I mean, 
you just couldn't have society and life. So thank God they expire after about 17 years, but they do. So it's a drag on innovation and progress. Um, and I would guess that lots of the in-chain patents are, well, unfortunately, they're, they're two or three or four years old. So, you know, if they're valid, they're going to last 17 years. And that's a lifetime in Bitcoin, right? I mean, some of us are thinking Bitcoin can be a, B, and you know, in ten years, ten years is is a generation or more. So it's not good. It's not good. So I don't know what we can do other than entreat and enjoin and band together and let these people know that that's not welcome here in our community. It's not welcome. So something like the GNU or the, there's there's a thing called the Patent Defense Leagues, and people get together and they. They it's they agree to get together and 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 not to assert patents on each other. The problem with all these models is that people have come up with solutions and to try to fix this. It's like trying to fix the welfare system, or you know, it's like how can you have a welfare system which gives people money if they do nothing, but not encourage indolence? How can you do that? Like they're trying to square a circle. It's almost impossible. Um, it's the same thing with the patent system, right? It's like, how can you have a patent system, but it doesn't really impede innovation? Like, they just don't go together. It's one or the other. And so people have tried to come up with these schemes like GNU or Creative Commons um, where or patent defense leagues where people get together. and they, There are patent pooling arrangements where they get together and they pool their patents. But none of them make any sense. They're all like this artificial response to an artificial problem. And if someone could think of one, I would like give them Nobel Prize. Because I think I personally know more about the patent system and patent policy and private property, libertarian stuff, than anyone in the world. Like, and I can't think of a way to do it. Like, There's just no way. It's like, it's like, it's like saying... If you have slavery, how can you make slavery work better? Oh, let's give the slaves like a Sunday off. Let them go have a little side job on a Sunday. And on Sundays, they can work and make their own money. And maybe that will make slavery work really efficiently and they'll satisfy the goddamn slaves. I mean, it's just not going to work. You know, you're fighting, you have liberty against oppression. You can't make them work together. And I have never been able to figure out a way, and I've tried. I've thought about it. I've talked to dozens of people about it. Um, I've tried to come up with a patent defense league, but it's just – it's all futile. If you have the patent system, it's gonna, we're going to have what we have now. So I, I see no solution other than to be aware of it, to be aware of the threat, and to fight it, and to oppose it in your political life. Just oppose it. You have to morally and politically oppose this stuff and ethically. People in our midst that try to use this stuff like Craig Wright, they should be condemned and booed and spit at and hissed and criticized. How dare you use the power of the state to try to stop innovation and competitors? How dare you? You're not one of us. You're not one of us. You're not welcome here. Other than that moral you know, condemnation, I don't know what we can do, to be honest. 
I, you know, that that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do these episodes on, on kind of this attack vector on, 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 you know, Bitcoin in large was because uh, I think that the, probably the most important thing that people can realize is that I just really haven't heard a lot of talk about it is that this is actually, you know, a threat, right? Just the same as that where people thought that defamation was not a threat. Um, you know, just because the, the trolling on Twitter is kind of, you know, normal and especially in the Bitcoin world, it's mostly millennial ish folks. So the concept of suing somebody in court for what somebody says on Twitter is quite ridiculous to, to many of us. But, uh, I think that most people don't realize that, that it, it, it is a legitimate, um, attack vector on either them personally or whatever to silence opposition and even if it's not going to end up well somebody who does have a lot of money at their disposal it's not that big of a deal for them to marshal you know a hundred thousand dollars to silence a a, a well-known voice right or or a well-known developer um into the point where they just will just retreat right well, from public the, view. And, um, and, and, and this is done um this is done all the time if people don't see it first of all you know ICE. Everyone complains about ICE, the Immigrations Customs Enforcement. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're not just immigrations; they're customs, and so they're in charge of also helping to enforce the FTC and their regulation uh, against counterfeit goods, pirated goods, copyright and trademark and patent goods. So. People don't even know this. There are thousands of websites. You can go find their old domain name. If you go, if you type their name, you'll you'll see a big, ominous, Nazi swastika-looking ice symbol saying, "This website has been shut down by the government because of copyright or trademark or whatever." Uh, that's and ICE does that stuff, right? I mean, this stuff is like brutal and horrible. Um, it's really, 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 really not part of the free market, and people need to understand that. Um, I don't know how I can explain it any better. I've tried my my twenty years of my life to do this, um, and then I will hear idiots, idiots like Craig Wright, who repeat this stupid Randian crap. I mean, I love Ayn Rand. I'm a libertarian, but they have this view that if you are against intellectual property, you're against the intellect, right? That's how they think. I mean, that's that's like saying that I don't love my wife because I don't support a property right in the love I have for my wife. I mean, it's just stupid. I mean, some things are not legal rights and some things are not. Some of the values we have in life are not government-controlled rights. Uh, so... I find it frustrating, but I also find it um, hopeful in the sense that people are looking to different ways of understanding what's going on because things are changing. They've been changing for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, right? And people know that the old paradigms, the old ways of looking at things don't make any sense. Um, So I would just encourage people uh, who are thinking and listening there's probably lots of people throwing their, you know, their old tuna cans at the at the television listening to this because uh, they've never heard of anyone who 
strongly opposes intellectual property, who is a capitalist. But I'll tell you, I mean, this stuff is toxic. Uh, I've got some talks on this. They can look them up if they're curious. But I actually think the mistake was made early on with this labor theory of property with John Locke in the 1600s, and then the labor theory of value followed soon after with uh, Ricardo and Smith and then and Marx. So honestly, I think that the entire mentality that led to communism, which is one of the most evil phenomena of all human history, is this labor theory of value, which infuses this whole idea that you have a property right in things you create, things you create, right? This is what people say because they're so used to this mentality from John Locke because he was trying to say we have a right to things we homestead in nature. And his argument was kind of – it was flawed, but he was basically getting at the right idea. But he was saying, listen – I own myself. I own what I do. I mix my labor with this thing. I own it. Leave me the hell alone. Right? But the way he put it led people to think, oh, well, then you own yourself. You own your labor. Oh, if you own your labor, it's like this substance that you own. If you mix it with something, you own that too. Oh, labor, 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 labor is a thing. I honestly, I, if I could, I'm, I'm not a totalitarian, but if I could pass one law, it might be to abolish the word labor from the human vocabulary or the concept because it has led to hundreds of millions of untold lives lost in liberty, uh, deaths, uh, lost innovation. It's a confusion. So I'm getting a, a far afield, but... You can believe in liberty. You can believe in natural rights. You can believe in uh, capitalism and property rights, which I do. But you do not have to accept this confusing notion that we own labor. Just think about that before you go further because that is the root cause of all the evils of modern society, I believe, or modern political society. Owning labor leads to intellectual property which leads to the stultification of innovation, which leads to death, human death, basically. You know, you know why? Because human action, what do we have at our disposal to act? We have scarce resources, which are scarce. Like they're running out. There's only so much of them. You know, trees, iron, land, whatever. And we have ideas information and property rights protect these scarce things because we we fight over them only one person use them at a time but the reason the human race has progressed the reason that we are richer the reason that we live in the 21st century with this abundance of material wealth so much that we can debate about college prep courses and all that kind of crap we do now is because of the <laughs> surplus and surfeit of ideas and knowledge. It's grown. It's grown. Every generation it grows. 
It's like it's an ocean of ideas. We dive into it. We take it. We get it for free. And every generation it grows. And it grows because there's no property rights in it. But property rights in ideas, which is what patent and copyright are, tries to hinder and impede the spread and flow and communication and development of ideas. And that's all we have left. In other words, as a human race, if we want to progress to the stars, right, or to get bigger, we only have so much material stuff. We've already maximally exploited that stuff. And property rights help us negotiate and navigate that stuff. But the ideas need to keep growing. And when you have a patent system and a copyright system where the government slows down the spread and the emulation and the use of these ideas on purpose, it's, it's genocidal. It's criminal. So that's my final uh, cry of the heart. No, I think that's a, actually a great way to to end the episode. I, I, I have to say, without you know, I've I've talked about um, on a few preceding episodes that my uh, kind of interview style is I, I I try to be I try to be objective, but I also try to um, let people know also where my my sympathies lie and and. Um, and my, my sympathies definitely lie with this concept of property rights, but that I, I, I agree full heartedly that intellectual property is, is a ridiculous concept to, to try to enforce. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've listened to you over the years um, on, on various different podcasts and I've never, I never, I've never disagreed with any of your arguments. So I'll leave it up to the the, the individual listeners to um, be able to, um, you know, make up their own minds. And I'll have, um, well, actually, uh, first I'd like to thank you for for coming on, and definitely um, for at such a late hour. But um, uh, where can people find you, and and um, and and where can they get get a hold of you? Uh, StephanKinsella.com is my, my main site, and I have links there to everything else, and C4SIF.org. I, I am trying to assemble my uh, collected uh, libertarian theory essays. Uh, believe it or not, I'm not just an IP guy. I'm like, I mean, that's my, main, that's my minor interest, actually. It's just no one else knows anything about it, so I have to keep answering questions about it. But I like property theory, contract theory, and this kind of stuff. So I have a book coming out, hopefully in this November or so, a Law in a Libertarian World. So that's all on my website, uh, com. Yeah, and if the listeners will go there, you'll find actually um, that the majority actually of the, 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 the interviews and articles that you've written are not actually on um ip law and and stuff like that are just kind of uh on various libertarian topics and actually that's how i i, I listened to you first was i believe it was on, on on rothbard on on tom wood show but uh anyways if they go there and all the stuff that we talked about on the show history of patents um all the different ways to get a hold of 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 you on twitter your website the paris convention paris cooperation treaty 
different tariff issues, uh, tariff issues, and uh, as well as a debate amongst other things, will be on digitalcrypto.com slash EP36. That's uh, digitalcrypto.com slash EP36, episode 36 for everybody that's not uh, be able to follow that. So uh, once again, thank you so much, though. Thanks, Justin. Okay, so what did you guys think of that episode? I thought that that was a very good discussion on the topic of how patents can be used. You know, as an attack vector on Bitcoin, it's something that I've been paying more and more attention to over the past years. I've watched Enchain and what they're doing. And even if you're a BSV supporter, you have to understand that this is an attack vector. This is not something that's used for the quote-unquote defense of the space. It's used for our chain is the right chain. We are going to attack it. And that's just how it is. Uh, so I agree with uh, Stefan that uh, I've never been a fan of intellectual property. I think that it is a ridiculous concept. I think that if you come up with an idea, if you can't actually execute on it, then that idea should be executed on by someone else. The idea that we should wait, you know, five years, 12 years, whatever it may be in each jurisdiction um, for a good idea to actually be acted upon is 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 a ridiculous concept to me so anyways uh feel free to reach out let me know what you liked about the episode what you didn't like about the episode uh what i should change please go over to itunes leave a five-star review uh go to supportmypodcast.com find out where the, the other ways that you can help out um supportmypodcast.com slash discounts sign up for the discounts program and also help support the bitcoin for als campaign uh, on Twitter, it's at Bitcoin, the number four ALS, at Bitcoin for ALS. And we're going to be raising money for uh, Hal Finney, um, or in Hal Finney's name. So anyways, I'd like to thank you guys for listening this week, and thank you very much. See you soon. <laughs>